All right, well, let's begin with prayer. Father, as we come into your presence today, um, I just sense that this is a really important message, and I don't know if that's why we're having trouble with the sound, but we just want to put that aside, and Father, give this time to you. And just like that sketch we just saw, we want to be honest in what we are saying to you, and not putting on a false pretense, not trying to be something that we are not, but being honest about our relationship with you and our heart commitment. We ask that you would guide us today as we look into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. If we are ever going to grow in our relationship with God and experience his peace, his joy, his love in our life on a consistent basis, then we need to be honest with God about where we're at in our relationship with him. No pretense, no pretending, no phoniness at all, but being honest with God. When I look back on my life, my freshman year in college was the most frustrating year of my life because I was a Christian, but I wasn't walking with God. And God loves us so much that he doesn't want to let us get away with that. You know, he cares about us too much to let us live in that kind of situation. And I know that freshman year in college, my priorities were all wrong. I wasn't going to church. I had uh, more interest in the relationships that I had with my friends. You know, I wanted to go out and have a good time with my friends. I had a girlfriend. I had my thoughts about what I was going to do with my life and my major, you know, and all of those things. And it really came to a head that year in terms of frustration for me. Uh, I started taking some classes in the direction of my first major and thought this is what I wanted to do, and then I found out I didn't like it very much. And so I was wrestling with, well, what am I going to do? What am I going to do as a major, and what's going to happen? I ended up that year breaking up with my girlfriend, which was a good thing to do. And after a time of kind of hanging out with friends and doing the party scene and things like that, I just realized that this was such a waste and I, I looked at myself, and I looked at the situation that I was in, and I was really frustrated, feeling very aimless, lacking that direction that I needed in life. And I remember at that time, it was God was tugging at my heart, and I went back to the scriptures, and I began to read through the Bible on my own from Genesis, just going through the book. And this was in the fall I started, and at Easter time, I came to Romans chapter 7. And I remember reading these words where Paul describes his own spiritual experience. And he said, you know, when I look at my life, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. I mean, that God's will, his word is good. But I find this war going on within me between the desire to do what is right and what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, it's the evil I don't want to do. This I keep on doing. And Paul felt that frustration, seeing this inconsistency, this hypocrisy in his own life. And finally, at the end of chapter 7, he goes, What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I remember reading that, and when, it, when those words hit me, I just said to God, I said, that's it. That's it. That's me. That's, that's right where I have been living. 
feeling this struggle internally, this war within. And I said to God, God, would you show me what I need to do? Would you show me what I need to do? That prayer was a turning point in my life. After that time, God began to bring into my life uh, friends, Christians that I began to meet who talked about Jesus like he was their very best friend. Uh, he began to work in ways where circumstances kind of lined up. They were not coincidences, but they were these divine appointments that began to move me toward a deeper relationship with Christ. And that sophomore year when I got back to college, you know, I got involved with the campus ministry there with Campus Crusade for Christ. I began to grow spiritually in my relationship with him. I was getting into the word on a consistent basis, joining in worship and fellowship with other believers. And my life dramatically changed. And what I remember most about that was I can still picture my mind walking across campus and just feeling like this burden had been lifted and the, the joy that I was experiencing in my heart, the joy and the peace that came from being right with God and walking with Him was something that was so profound and so tangible for me that I never wanted to go back to the old way of life. I never wanted to experience that again. You know, God longs for each of us to experience His joy and His peace and His love in all of its fullness. He doesn't want us to be hypocritical Christians who say one thing but really don't mean it and live quite differently when we're gone from here. He wants us to experience that deep and abiding fellowship with him. And so today we're going to be talking about that in this first message from Romans chapter 12, verse 1. What is it that God wants the most from us? Well, the answer is he wants you. He wants all of you, not just part of you. He wants all of you. You see, becoming a disciple, it, a disciple of Jesus is a total commitment. It is a total commitment. And we see that in chapter 12, verse 1. When Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. I want to break that down a little bit and look at this word by word. We are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. The word offer there, some of your translations will say present. We are to present ourselves to God or offer ourselves. It is a decisive one-time commitment. But it has ongoing obligations that come from that. You can think of it, it's a lot like marriage. That when that time comes, when you have fallen in love with someone and you have uh, made your commitment that you want to get married to this person, you come and in a public ceremony before family and friends and before the Lord, you make this commitment that you will be faithful to one another till death. It is a decisive one-time commitment that you make that has ongoing obligations, responsibilities. You know, marriage doesn't end the day you get married. It is a lifelong commitment. And there are joys that are part of that ongoing relationship, and there are responsibilities. And it is the same with our relationship with Christ. Paul is saying, I urge you to decisively 
give your life to Christ as your Savior and Lord. But understand what that means as you will grow with him through the years. The word sacrifice expresses how it is to be a total commitment. The laying of our life on the altar. I mean, when a sacrifice in the Old Testament was made, it meant death. The sacrifice was to be wholly devoted to God. But here he tells us, I want you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And that was unusual in that day. I mean, and it stresses how our whole life from this day forward is to be given to God. He tells us we are to present our bodies. Our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. When we give our life to Christ, he gives us his Holy Spirit who comes to live within us. And we now are that temple of God, of the Holy Spirit who dwells within. And so he tells us that we are to give our mind to the Lord, what we think about is to be under the Lordship of Christ. Our eyes and our ears, what we see, what we look at, what we read, what we watch on television or movies, all of that is to be under the Lordship of Christ. What we hear, the things, the conversation that we engage in, and what we do with those things that we hear is to be under His Lordship. Our mouth, what we say, how we speak. Do we speak the truth in love? Do we put aside slander or gossip or coarse jesting? Those kind of things that are to have no part in our life. Our hands and our feet are under the Lordship of Christ. What we do, where we go, our travels, our journey, our work, our commitments, all under the Lordship of Christ. He says that we are to be a holy sacrifice. Sacrifices under the old covenant were to be without spot or blemish. They were to be pure and set apart to God for his use. And in doing that, he's going to explain what that means, where we are to no longer follow the pattern of this world, but we are to give ourselves wholly to God and follow his will for our life. And then finally he tells us that this kind of sacrifice is pleasing to God. The giving of ourselves as a living sacrifice is pleasing to God. It is the very thing that he desires most from us. So why don't we do it? Why do we resist his will? Why do we resist giving ourselves fully to God? I think the biggest reason why people don't is fear. It's fear of what that might mean. Walter Hendrickson, a number of years ago, wrote a classic book on discipleship. It was called Disciples Are Made, Not Born. If you have never read it, I would urge you to read it. Disciples Are Made, Not Born by Walter Hendrickson. And he listed three primary reasons why people don't want to give themselves fully to Jesus as Lord. Number one, we're afraid that he may ask us to do something we don't want to do. I mean, we're just, we're kind of afraid he's going to ask us to do something we don't want to do. Like if I give my life to Christ, he's going to ask me to be a missionary. And he's going to ask me to go to some part of the world that I really don't want to go to. So I don't want to really, I don't know if I can trust him and give myself to him. Or we think if I give my life to Christ, you know, he's going to ask me to marry somebody who I really don't want to marry or somebody, you know, who's really ugly or somebody who just, you know, doesn't fit for us. And, you know, all these kind of thoughts. And we go, where does that come from? 
I mean, that doesn't come from God. That comes from the enemy who doesn't want you to give yourself fully to him. Or we're afraid that if we give ourselves fully to God, he's going to ask us to give up our pet sins. Yes, he will. Yes, he will. He's going to ask you to give up those things that you want to hold on to that really are hurting you. Bitterness, unforgiveness, lust, pride, greed, whatever it may be, he's going to ask you to give that up. We're afraid he might ask us to suffer and die. Yeah, he will. The Bible tells us that all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will suffer. Even if that suffering is just simply the fact of wanting to live for Christ in an ungodly world, and you see the struggles out there, and you see the temptations and the evil in our world and how it pulls at people and how it destroys lives. If you desire to live for Christ in this world and be holy, you will feel that pressure. And you will feel that longing to want to please Him in all things. Secondly, Walter Hendrickson said that we think we know what is best for us. We think we know what we should be doing with our life and the best way that things ought to go. And we sort of have our plan and we're not sure we really like God's plan. But you know what? So do little children. Little children think that they know what's best for them. But you don't leave little kids on their own, do you? Because they might run out into the street. They might pick up a knife and cut themselves. They might... Uh, hurt themselves. They might touch something that's hot. It might scald them or burn them. I mean, you are there as a parent because you love them and you want to protect them. And you really do know what is best for them. And so here is our loving Heavenly Father, the creator of the universe, who knows you perfectly, and he wants you to experience his love and his joy to the fullest. And he knows what is best for you to make you more and more like Jesus. And thirdly, we're not sure that God has our best interests at heart. At times when we're just, we're just not so sure about that. We don't know if we can quite trust him. If we give ourselves fully to God, what's he going to ask of us? Yet what does God say? He says in Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. I mean, think of what God has already given you. He has given you life and health. He has given you a mind to think and eyes and ears to see and to hear. He's given you hands and feet. He has given you food and shelter, the air we breathe, the ground we walk on, the food we eat, the houses or apartments that we live in. He's given us family and friends. He's given us brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. And most of all, he has given us his son, Jesus, to be our Savior. All by grace. All by grace. And when we understand that, we begin to see that the motivation to give our life to Christ is indeed his grace. Total grace. And that's why Paul in verse 12 begins by saying, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves to him. 
When you're reading scripture and you come to the word therefore, one of those principles you learn in Bible study methods is you want to know what it's there for. You want to understand why did Paul say that? What's he basing this statement on? Well, in this case, he's basing this appeal to us on everything that he has said in chapters 1 to 11. In view of everything that's happened there, you know, and you go back and review it and you begin to see how we were sinners deserving eternal punishment. We were under God's wrath and he provided a way of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. He stood in our place. Jesus paid the penalty that we deserved when he died on the cross for our sins. When we place our faith in him, he forgives us, he cleanses us, he clothes us with the righteousness of Jesus Christ and we are changed. And then he calls us to live differently. And he tells us how he's given us his Holy Spirit, how his Spirit intercedes for us, Jesus intercedes for us. He tells us how his plans for us are good as he wants us to grow in our relationship with him. It is a wonderful, wonderful promise that is made. And finally, Paul comes to where he says in Romans 8.32. You can put this verse up here. Romans 8.32. He says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? I mean, if God, again, has already given us the most precious, valuable gift he could give of his son, don't you think that he will take care of the rest as well? Yes, indeed, he will. In 1 Corinthians 2.9, Paul wrote of what God is preparing for us. And he said, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. We can only imagine, but no one knows fully all that God has prepared and is preparing for those who love him. You know, some of you have heard that um, Gail's dad has not been doing well. He's had some strokes and he's been declining in health and he's really at that point where you know, you just don't know how long it might be before God takes him home. And as we were driving down yesterday to see him, you know, we were thinking about this verse, and I just said, you know, your dad is about to experience the most amazing transformation in life that anyone will ever experience. I mean, can you imagine, you know, whether you don't know whether you are days or months away from that day when you will step into glory? And you will see Jesus' face. And, you and I, you know, for the believer who's loved God with all their heart and waited for that day, you know, it's just, it's just going to be incredible what we will see and hear and experience on that day. To hear and to see the angels in all of their glory singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. To see those who have died and gone before us who were in Christ and to meet and be reunited with family members or friends or those who are there in heaven. And to see Jesus, our Lord and Savior, face to face. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. We can only imagine. And then Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4.17, he tells us that our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. I love that verse. 
I mean, you know, here we are. We go through trials in our life that just seem so heavy. And, and sometimes just, you know, we're struggling with where do we turn? What do we do? How are we going to get out of this one? Or what's the answer here? How can we bear under this burden that we are carrying? And, and Paul comes along, and in the Scripture it says, they're just light and momentary troubles. Light and momentary compared to eternity and what God is preparing for us there. It was these verses and others that caused C.S. Lewis to write in his book, The Weight of Glory. The Weight of Glory. He said, if we consider the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I mean, think about that. Can you imagine, you know, you're saying to your son or daughter, you know, it's just a child, you know, do you want to go to the ocean? you want to see the beach? you want to see the guest house we're going to stay in and how beautiful it is? And you begin to try and describe it, and they just say, no, I just want to stay here and play in the gutter in the mud. That's what Lewis says it is like when we do not give ourselves to the Lord. When we give our life wholly to Christ, we are not doing him a favor. He is doing us a favor. What we gain is worth far more than anything we give up. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? I thought about asking Gail for that buzzer here but I don't know your heart. What would the Lord say to you? Do you really believe that? That what we give up is not even worth comparing to what we will gain when we live our life fully to Him. I want us to think a moment about the reward that God has for us. And I call it again total reward just to kind of keep it in this theme of total commitment and total grace and total reward. Paul tells us in verse 1 of chapter 12 again that the giving of ourselves to God is a spiritual act of worship. This is our spiritual act of worship. And the word spiritual uh, in Greek here is the word logikain. We get our word logic from it or logical. And that's why some translations read that this is your reasonable act of service. This is your reasonable act of service. When we understand who God is, all that he has prepared for us in the future, what is awaiting us there, the surrendering of our life totally to him is the most reasonable, logical way to live. That's why for the Christian, anything less than that is really insane. I mean, why, why would you choose to do anything less than to give your life fully to Christ? I mean, think about it. And, and please personalize this. Hear yourself saying these things. Okay, I have a God who loves me and created me. He knows everything about me. I have a God who knows the future, and he knows what is best for me, and his desire is to make me more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. I have a God who tells me 
that I have already been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. I have a God who tells me that he has lavished on me the riches of his grace. I have a God who tells me that he longs for me to live life abundantly to the fullest and to experience his joy and his love and his peace and his constant presence in my life in fullness. And then we come along and say, nah, I think I'll do my own thing. That's nonsense if you really understand what God has for each one of us. Why would we do anything less in fact, you could say it this way. The cost of non-discipleship is greater than the cost of discipleship. The cost of non-discipleship is greater to the lost around us who need to know Jesus. Because how will they hear unless someone tells them? The cost of non-discipleship is great to the poor and the hungry in our world if we simply hoard our resources and refuse to give and refuse to help those that are in need that God puts in our life, the cost is great. But also the cost is great to you and me if we choose to walk away and live for ourselves and not for God. God comes first. He wants to be first in our time, in our commitments, in our resources, the way we use them, in our giving, our offering, all of those things. You know, and I look back on my life again. I remember a day several years later from that experience that I described at the beginning when God had called me into ministry and it came to a point where I needed to let go of the farm, if you will. My dad had passed away and we were at a point where we were going to sell the machinery and we were going to rent out the farm and all of those things. And I remember a summer evening when I was walking across the yard on our farm. And I looked at everything that was there and I just, that night, I gave it all to the Lord. And what God brought to mind that night was a little song that became my prayer of commitment. It's an old chorus that some of you may recognize. I'm not going to sing it, but I want the words to be up here. It was the chorus, Dear Jesus. And I was thinking about these words, and I said, Dear Jesus, thou hast bled and died for me. You washed away my sins at Calvary. You saved my soul, and you made me whole. And dear Lord, I give myself to thee. And the second verse said, Dear Jesus, thou art everything to me, and everything I own I give to thee. My wealth, my all, but most of all, dear Lord, I give myself to thee. I came that night, and I made that commitment to God, and I laid it at his feet. And there are no regrets at all. I wouldn't trade the joy of walking with Christ for anything that the world has to offer. A number of years ago, Bobby Richardson, who was a second baseman for the Yankees, was speaking at an FCA meeting, and he offered this prayer. He said, Dear God, your will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Can you make that commitment to you?
I want to ask you today to think about what we've been talking about. And I want to ask you, are you willing to surrender your life fully to him? If you have never done that before in the past, is today the day. Is today the day where you will look at and you will say, okay, on September 19th, I made that commitment to Christ and I gave myself totally to him. If you're here today and you've made that commitment in the past, you know the joy of that and you maybe want to say thank you, Lord, for what you did in my life and bringing me to that point many years ago. And if you're not at that point today, you know, and you're not ready, that's okay. I'd rather have you be honest with God, but I'd really ask you to think about what we said and what we looked at in the Scripture and count the cost of not following Jesus as well as looking at the cost following Jesus. And let God continue to work in your heart. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you this morning, you know where each of us are in our relationship with you. And I know how important this decision is. It is one that will change the rest of our life and the rest of our eternity. And so I want to ask you today, those who are here, if for the first time in your life you want to make this commitment to surrender your heart fully to him and say, Jesus, here I am. I present my body to you today as a living sacrifice. I want to live for you and I want to follow you. And I pray that you would continue to lead me. Would you just, while heads are bowed, would you just stand if today you want to make that commitment for the very first time? Just stand, and by standing, you are saying to Jesus, Lord, this is what I want to do today. If you have made that commitment in the past, and you want to renew that commitment today, or you just simply want to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. And here I am. I give myself to you today. Would you please stand? It may be a renewal or maybe just a thank you that you want to say, Jesus, thank you for what you've done. And if you're here today and you just have questions, you know, and you're not ready to make that commitment, that's okay. Would you just say to God, be honest with him, Lord, I'm not sure yet. And there are questions that I have. Father, would you continue to speak to me and show me your will? Lord Jesus, you know our heart, and this is serious business, what we're doing today. And so, Father, I pray that you would take us at our word and continue to lead us and guide us and do your work in us until that day when you will bring us home to glory. We ask this in Jesus' name.